the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. We gather like this every weekend. And Alan Dempsey is always with us every weekend. He does the engineering. And Andrew Herdliska does the producing. And uh, Lynn Hartke is with us in the first segment. Uh, her book is called Under a Desert Sky. Lynn lives in the Phoenix area. And I'm so glad you're joining me, Lynn. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me, Pat. Well, let's uh, get into this. Under a Desert Sky, re- Redefining Hope, Beauty, and Faith in the Hardest Places. Uh, explain that title and the subtitle, and then we'll get deeply into your book, Lynn. Yeah, the title was chosen because I know everybody does have a hard place. Uh, my hard place was cancer, followed by the cancer diagnoses of both of my parents. But I wanted readers to know that even in that horrible hard place, there is hope, there is faith, there is beauty that can be found in even the uh, driest desert season. Well, you open your book, Cancer Makes a House Call. Uh, Explain how your book starts. Uh, The book starts on just a normal day, and I'm in the backyard doing yard work with my parents. And I get the call from my doctor saying that I have breast cancer. Mm. And I remember at that point, a time just seemed to uh, freeze. And it was like these little uh, freeze-frame moments, you know, this and this and this. And one thought that uh, came into my mind was I needed to call my husband. And so I I called him, and I I had no words. I just began to sob. I didn't know how to tell him that I had the same disease that uh, killed both of his parents. Mm. And uh, so, you know, my mom and dad prayed for me. And then uh, mom cleaned my kitchen, and she called all her friends and got me on uh, different prayer chains. And so, yeah, from that point on, our cancer story begins because I was the first one to be diagnosed with cancer in the family. And then we move to this topic. It's called Stupid Strong, which means what? To me, it means that I always viewed myself as a very strong woman, I came from a long line of strong women all the way back to uh, my great-great-great-grandfather who came from Norway with, uh, I think, 32 other family members. 26 of them were children. Mm. And uh, it was just kind of a pride thing in our family that women are strong. They hold it all together. And I entered my cancer journey that way. I'm going to be strong. I can hold it all together. And it turned out not to be true. I needed other people. I needed God. And so I call my strength a stupid strength because I could not do it on my own. When theology has no handhold, uh, what's that mean? I found I, uh, when not only I was diagnosed, but then my mom called to say uh, a year later my dad was diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma. And then while he was still in chemotherapy, my mom called to say that she had uh, stage 3 ovarian cancer, which quickly uh, became stage 4. So I talk about it just being like this flash flood in the desert where I am just drowning. Wave after wave is hitting me, and I'm trying to grab on to a handhold. And all these sermons and everything that I had gone through I can't seem to remember, but it was the handhold of that God will not leave me or forsake me. 
uh, scripture verse I'd memorized that I was able to hold on to in the flood. I will live until I die. Uh, what are you writing there? My dad, when he would be asked, well, how are you doing with your cancer diagnosis? And he said, every single time, I will live until I die, and then my real life will begin. Mm. And that became uh, just something he was known for, and everyone quotes that now when they talk about his life. Yeah, your dad said that thing. I will live until I die, and then my real life will begin. Powerful. And, and, how, and how much longer did he live? Talk about his life. Uh, my dad lived two and a half years after his diagnosis, and um, he uh, had to go into a clinical trial and did uh, very well for uh, the longest time until probably the last month of his life when cancer just figured out a way to get around all the medications. And, uh, but he held so strongly to faith, and I think one reason he was willing to do the clinical trial, he wanted to be there for my mom. So I think, you know, he was ready for eternity almost right away. But he's like, I'm going to hang in here. I'm going to hang in here for my mom. So, and uh, yeah, incredible, incredible man of faith. Lynn Hartke is with us from uh, Chandler, Arizona. Ali, Ali, all come free. You're going to have to explain that one, Lynn. (laughs) That is a line that children use when they're playing hide and seek. Ali, Ali, all come free. And um, I tried to hide, hide in uh, my cancer diagnoses and um, with both parents. And yet God was so faithful to come after me in my hidden places. And he, he would say, in essence, Ali, Ali, all come free. All who are broken, all who are afraid, come, come where I am. And in your hardest desert places, I will be there for you. My guest is Lynn Hartke. We're talking about her book, and it's a powerful book, Under a Desert Sky, Love in the Bending Low. Explain that, please, Lynn. When I was a a young Christian, I felt, well, actually a young married woman, that love was found in chocolate and roses and long moonlight walks on the beach. But what my parents taught me in their cancer diagnosis is that love is in bending low and stooping and serving. And this chapter is about when my daughter was getting married and my parents flew out to be there. They were still in the middle of uh, chemotherapy. And my dad said to me, is there anything I can do to help get ready for the ceremony, which was outside? And I said, I need some signs made so people will know what, where to park. And my dad just meticulously worked all afternoon, you know, with uh, handmade stencils, making these beautiful signs as a way of loving his granddaughter at her wedding, uh, bent over, you know, in the backyard, and such a beautiful expression to me of his servant's heart and how he loved people. And I tied into one of the last things Jesus did on his last day on earth was to bend low and wash his disciples' feet and forever showing what we should do on last days, and that is to serve others. And uh, my dad did that and uh, as an example to me, and that's what that chapter is about. How about a hard forgetting place, Lynn? In uh, the desert where we live, our ground is so hard because of the 110, 115 degree heat that just pounds it. And when we do get rain, a lot of times it can't soak in. It just runs across the top, and that's where we run into our uh, trouble with flash floods. And cancer can be a hard forgetting place as the, the heat and circumstances just pound, pound, pound into our hearts, into our souls. So I'm writing about the hard time I'm having at this point when cancer is figuring out a way to get around the chemotherapy for my dad. And they put him in this special 
uh, canoe, we called it. He wrapped him up in plastic, and um, so he couldn't move at all because the radiation had to be so precise next to a main artery and next to his lungs. And my dad just slept through it all. He was at peace in his hard place. My guest, Lynn Hartke, talking about Under a Desert Sky. Uh, We've got more after this, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. I'm Jay Farner from Quicken Loans. The rate today on a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 3.875%, APR 4.05%. But choosing the right mortgage lender means choosing more than just a rate. Does calling the company with 11 J.D. Power Awards for client service matter? Does calling the company that invented Rocket Mortgage, the industry's most innovative technology, matter? If working with America's number one online lender matters to you, call Quicken Loans today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Equal housing lender, NMLS number 3030. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Word. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design, right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hi, this is Kevin Sorbo, your host of the Breathe Bible Audio Theater. Journey with me through the New Testament in weekly 30-minute episodes. This series features the Breathe Audio Bible, a dramatized audio New Testament voiced by award-winning Hollywood celebrities. Don't miss the Breathe Bible Audio Theater, Sunday morning at 11 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Lynn Hartke is with us uh, talking about her new book, Under a Desert Sky. Uh, Lynn, before we get back into the book, I'm intrigued uh, by your current training regimen, uh, hiking from the south rim of the Grand Canyon to the north rim, a distance of 23 miles. You plan to do it in one day. Uh, Can you explain that one to us? Uh, It's actually a pretty popular hike here in the uh, Grand Canyon State. It's it's called Rim to Rim in the Grand Canyon. And, uh, yeah, it's about seven miles down and then seven miles across and then up the other side. So an elevation change, it is actually a mile in elevation down. And uh, kind of a crazy thing to do, but uh, we've done it, uh, I've done it twice. My husband's done it a little bit more than that. But just this feeling that, you know what, I want to grab onto life with both hands and do some hard things, and cancer's not going to take that away, and cancer's not going to define my future. And so that's kind of a crazy thing I've got on the calendar. Do you run into any rattlesnakes on the the trip? I have never seen a rattlesnake in the Grand Canyon. I've seen maybe about 10 around the area here where we live. Really? But for the most part, uh, rattlesnakes are shy creatures, and uh, they don't want to see me either. So if you leave them alone, they will leave you alone. Lynn, how, how are you doing in your cancer battle? How do you feel? I am actually, uh, I have been declared cancer-free. Good. So I am considered just a normal statistic walking around now in, in regard to my chance of getting cancer. And um, so I just go in for yearly appointments. So, yeah, praise God for that. Well, that's exciting. Good for you. And good for God. Yes, yes. All right, talk to me about difficult beauty. 
that's another topic in your book. Yeah, I, I, there, cancer is difficult, but there are beautiful things that we can find even in that hard place. And that is something that my mom taught me, actually, in her cancer journey. She went through it with such incredible grace, where she invited doctors into their exam rooms. And so learning to recognize and the importance of finding beauty in the hard places that we walk in. Let's talk about this topic, a stack of gratitude stones. Uh, What are they? When you're hiking in remote areas, people leave a stack of stones called a cairn for you to follow so you know where to go where very few feet have walked before. And so cancer is a walk in a wilderness where you feel like you're going where very few feet have walked before. And so I found the importance of holding on to gratitude and stacking gratitude like this Um, like a cairn where I'm grateful for this and picking up another stone and I'm grateful for this and picking up another stone, I'm grateful for this because gratitude, I found, kept me from spiraling into dark, ugly places of bitterness. And uh, so I recommend it for everyone. Keep a gratitude journal. It's necessary to survive. How about laughter and faith hold hands? When my parents were both in treatment, my son turned, my youngest son turned 18. And we have a tradition in our family that when they turn 18, they can invite significant adults from their life to come and speak a blessing over them for their 18th birthday party. And so my son wanted his grandparents to come and be a part of that ceremony. So they had chemotherapy that morning. And they came and spoke blessing over him that evening. And my dad's blessing for our son is that he would hold on to laughter and joy. And my mom's blessing for our son was that he would hold on to faith and that God had a plan for his life that he was uniquely created for. And so the title is When Laughter and Faith Hold Hands. Now I want you to talk to us, uh, Lynn about this topic, the narrow place. What is the narrow place you write about? When I was a uh, a runner in high school for track and field, um, well, actually, no, more for cross country, there's always a chute that you run through at the finish line where the ropes or the chains or the ribbons or whatever narrows so that only one person can pass through so that they can keep track of who finishes. And so my dad is entering the end of his earthly journey, and he's always run it with many other people and with my mom. But in this narrow place, there's only room for one. And we saw, you know, my dad's view narrowing. But in reality, it's not true. There's not just room for one, because Jesus walks and runs with us to the very end, and we are not alone, even at the finish line of our life. Talk to us about the final solo. My dad had this beautiful, beautiful tenor voice. Mm. And he asked if he could not only sing for a last time at his church service, but if he could speak kind of like a last lecture type of thing, because he was a, a teacher all his life, if he could speak to his friends and neighbors about um, the importance of his faith. So I flew back to Minnesota, where my parents lived, to hear him sing. And um, he, you know, spoke his words, and then he got ready to sing, and his voice just broke. Cancer had affected, and uh, radiation had fried his vocal cords. But he didn't end up singing alone. There was this unrehearsed ensemble. People from all over the congregation started singing teenager in the front row, white-haired lady, you know, three rows back. And I realized that our most powerful victory songs are not about singing alone, but they are about others joining with us, and we make this great ensemble. 
Now, Lynn, sunrise, sunset. Explain. Both sunrises and sunsets are beautiful, and we have incredible sunrises and sunsets here in Arizona with our, our big vistas, and the dust gets stirs up, and it makes more color. And So I want people to know that whether we're in the sunrise of our life or the sunset of our life, there is beauty there. And it just kind of depends which way you're facing, but both are equally beautiful and that uh, God has purpose in both, both of them. Lynn Hartke is our guest. Lynn, how about the bigger shadow? Um, that's your 15th topic. What, what does that mean? In, uh, in the book of Psalms, David writes that even when he goes to the shadow of death, he is not afraid. And I found that interesting because I found that cancer did make me afraid, and I felt like the shadow pursued me, uh, fear of reoccurrence, and that one time they thought my cancer was back and things like that. So I wondered, how could David write this, that even in the shadow of death, he fears no evil? And he says, because Jesus, God, you are with me. And he also writes in Psalm 91, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I thought, I need to learn to run to a bigger shadow, not the shadow of cancer, but the shadow of the Almighty, who does not leave me, does not forsake me. Lynn Hartke. Lynn, I want you to explain to us uh, your uh, organization or your speaking life, uh, your sharing life uh, with other people. How does that work? Um, I uh, speak about cancer to various cancer organizations, but from the viewpoint of hope and faith and beauty, and I want people to know in that hard place of cancer that they are not alone. I was just uh, nominated this week as a voice of hope with the American Cancer Society. So, um, yeah, I just, I want people to know there is hope, there is beauty, there is faith, and even in the hard, hard place of cancer. Almost seven years ago, Lynn, I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, mm. which is one of the blood cancers. We're not quite as famous as leukemia, but it's a, it's a, it's a biggie. And that was seven years ago. So uh, uh, hearing you talk about that word hope uh, really rings a bell with me. We can't live without hope. Correct. And um, I, I think that's the key message here. If you're dealing with cancer, there is hope. We've got good doctors out there. Great research is going on. Uh, New forms of chemo are coming along all the time. So we should be encouraged if we're dealing with a cancer issue. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yes, more and more people are living since the uh, cancer diagnosis. It's not necessarily the death sentence that it was so many years ago. And uh, hold on to hope. Lynn, uh, what do you want, uh, what's your advice to women uh, in in preventing uh, breast cancer or dealing with it or uh, getting prepared to seek it out, I, I just want you to talk to women who are listening today. Yeah, I want you to know as a woman that don't be afraid to go in and have your checkup and your mammograms. It is worth having them, and if you do end up with a cancer diagnosis, it is better for them to catch it early. So don't let fear hold you back from having those important exams and mammogram. It was a mammogram that found uh, my breast cancer, and I am so thankful that I went in and they were able to catch it early and treat it early. And how did you feel through all of that? Uh, did, did it? Uh, were you Were you hurting? Were you weak? I mean, what was the feeling? I find that with cancer, you tend to deal so much in the overwhelming now. You're, you're just on point for everything happening at the moment. It's hard to look at the future, hard to look at the past, but you're dealing with the overwhelming now. And I, I tell people, every good thing you've ever believed about God, hold on with both hands and mm. don't let go. Surround yourself with people that will tell you what you need to hear when maybe you cannot hear it. 
I, I like what you just said about gripping onto God yeah. with both hands until your knuckles are white. Yes. Which, which is where God wants us anyway in that position, but sometimes it takes a crisis to force us to do that. Yeah, very much so. And uh, cancer will certainly do that. Uh, Lynn, how's your husband been through the cancer battle? What's, what's he been like? I think my husband struggled like many spouses do, wondering what to do. It's one thing to trust your own life to God. It's completely another story to trust those you love to God. And so, I mean, I found that when my parents had cancer. So for him and for me, when I stepped into caring for my parents, learning to trust those you love to God is a huge uh, learning curve, and I'm still learning how to do that. I <laughs> I haven't learned it yet. How but have you practicing? How did your children react to your cancer battle, Lynn? Uh, they each had their unique struggling points, mm-hmm. and even now, um, we're eight years out from my diagnosis. They still sometimes will bring up stuff, like my youngest son told me just this year. He said, Mom, because he was 14 and I was diagnosed, he said, I made a decision that day that I would um, step up my game in regard to my grades at school so you wouldn't have to worry about it. <laughs> and he didn't feel like he could tell me that till this year as you know, a senior in college. And uh, How about so, that? You know, different ways that they've responded. But we've you know, tried to be honest and open with our kids when we were walking through that journey. Did his grades improve? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think he was straight A's through high school from then on. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating <laughs> that, that uh, your battle uh, touched him to be a better student? I love it. Love it. Good job. Lynn, I'm so glad we could visit. Uh, congrats on your book. And uh, I know you've helped a lot of people here in Central Florida listening to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pat, for having me. Lynn Hartke, author of Under a Desert Sky. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Hi, I'm Steve Lash with Blue Book Service Center. How many times do you take your vehicle into the repair shop for a simple repair and you're told you need a lot more repairs costing a lot more money? That's called upselling by the service writer. Why? They get paid a commission on your repairs. At Blue Book Service Center, no one is paid a commission. We have one of the lowest labor rates anywhere of only $75 an hour. That's as much as half of what other repair shops charge. And that fleet labor rate is extended to all our customers. For over 37 years, Blue Book Service Center has been repairing customer vehicles correctly for far less, never upselling. With our 37 years of experience and technology, we often can repair a vehicle instead of just replacing costly parts. Also, if you need a car while your vehicle is being repaired, mention this ad and get a rental car for $9.99 a day while your car is in the shop. Call us today at 407-321-0741 to schedule an appointment. Blue Book Service Center is used by smart churches, schools, fleets, and individuals who don't want to be taken advantage of. Call us at 407-321-0741. We're saving you money. How would you like to see clearly when you wake up in the morning? Reduce your dependence on corrective lenses. How would you like to change the way you see the world? Well, you've always wanted to do it, and now is the time to take that step with LASIK. And we are excited to announce that for the first time ever, LASIK is now available at half price. Just go to our website, AmazingRadioDeals.com. Imagine getting LASIK at half price. Enjoy activities such as work, movies, sports, and play. LASIK at half price? Amazing. AmazingRadioDeals.com. Half price LASIK available now. Now. Save thousands. AmazingRadioDeals.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Lynn Hartke, our guest. 
in that first half hour talking about under a desert sky. Uh, Allison Allen lives in Nashville. Uh, she is the author of Shine. That's the name of the book. Stepping into the role you were made for. Uh, Ravel is the publisher. Allison, first of all, greetings from Orlando. It's uh, nice to chat with you. How are you? Uh, nice to chat with you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well and uh, talking to you from Nashville, and it's a, it's a joy to be on, Pat. So what does the word shine mean? Well, I think of, you know, I think of Matthew 5.16, which says, Let your light so shine before mm-hmm. men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So it's the biblical call to step uh, into those places of, I, I call them luminosity or shine, risk, calling, and ability that Jesus has uniquely uh, called you to. So it's, it's, it's just a call to the daughters and sons of the King to step out of those spiritual shadows and step into those places of shine and luminosity that Jesus has for us. You open your book with this topic, All the World's a Stage. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I'm not talking, I've spent a lot of my life, I should say before I go on, I've spent a lot of my life as a, a professional actor, a performer, and so I've had the, the honor of standing on lots of stages and platforms, and I'm, I'm not really talking about those kinds of stages as we think of them. I'm talking about God stages, and the way I describe a God stage is it, it's, a, it's a place that God has given you, it's made from passion and, and purpose. Uh, God's stages, I think, are those specific places where Jesus has um, actually inviting us to bravely into the story He is telling and to inhabit the role fully. So, you know, when I talk about a God stage, I never want people to mistake that for a place that um, panders to the applause of the audience, but to the applause of the only one that matters, which is Jesus. Tell us about uh, this topic, the brave act and character shoes. Well, as an actor, there, there are a particular pair of shoes uh, that you use in your career, particularly if you're a, a musical theater performer, much like, you know, a basketball player's shoes or an athlete's specific kind of shoes. So actors have a, a specific kind of shoes, too, and they're called character shoes. And, and they're pretty, um, you know, they're pretty garden variety. If you look at them, there's, there's nothing special, you know, on the outside about them. They're, they're meant to be able to fit any type of character you have to play at any time. So, you know, when you're wearing your character shoes, you can easily easily be Lady Macbeth as you can be Juliet or, you know, Sandy in Greece as you can be Laurie in Oklahoma. They're, They're kind of built to keep the show going. They're built to keep the performance going. And I use them as a bit of a spiritual metaphor in the book Shine because I talk to women, you know, all over the place, all over the country, who say, you know what, Allison, when I hear you talk about those character shoes, I realize how much of my own life I've been living in character shoes. You know, and when I came, um, when I came running back to Jesus at about 19, uh, I, I did so in those character shoes. I was kind of uh, the embodiment of a performance-based believer. And what I mean by that, Pat, is I would, I would kind of walk into the room. I kind of took the actor, if you will, off the stage and took her into real life. And I would kind of walk into the room, even even in the body of Christ sometimes, and, and I would say, you know, tell me what role I need to play. Tell me what character I need to be. How do I have to act to be accepted? And there, there came a stunning moment, a kind of a, I guess it was just a slow work of grace that led up to a moment where I realized that I, I had become a better actor in real life than I had ever been on the stage. And Jesus was beginning to... to told me that the bravest thing I could ever do in my life was take off the character shoes, that he really didn't want to invite the character of Allison, if that makes sense, to the great adventure of faith, that he wanted me, you know, the sanctified me, the one, the one that is in relationship with him without the character shoes. And so character shoes are a bit of a, a, a metaphor, a spiritual metaphor that run through the whole book that say, you know what, um, we can come to those places of shine and luminosity in our God stages as we are and trust that Jesus can make much of all of our strengths, all of our weaknesses, all of our wounds, and all of our wonder. Allison Allen is with us from Nashville. Uh, We're talking about her book, Shine. Uh, Talk about ancient character shoes, Allison. What's that mean? 
Well, you know, anytime, Pat, that I see uh, or I hear or, or feel like the Lord is showing me something in my life, like the, the spiritual metaphor of a character, she's, I, I want to see it in Scripture. I want to see that reflected in Scripture. I want to make sure I'm just not pulling some kind of concept out of thin air and, you know, shoving it onto the Bible. I want to see it in the Bible. And so as, as the Lord began to speak to me about the fact that I had spent so much of my life in character shoes and was quite uh, spiritually handicapped because of them, I said, okay, I, I, I get that. I hear you, Jesus, but I, I really want to see that mirrored in the Scripture. And it, it was uh, pretty fascinating for me. It was probably about five years ago when I began to look freshly at David and Goliath. And I know it's a story, you know, we we, we learned in flannel grams, and we've been studying in, in one form or fashion ever since. But one of the things that struck me in the story before he beheads the giant and takes the giant down with the stones and then beheads the giant is that King Saul tries to uh, get David to go to war in King Saul's armor. And so the Bible records that he outfits him with a you know coat of mail and he straps his own sword on them. And then the Bible records these interesting words that David actually tries to walk in those things. He tries to walk in King Saul's armor. He tries to go to war in something that doesn't fit him. And then the Bible goes on to say, David says, with probably about 100,000 people standing there, scholars say, he says, I, I, I can't walk in these. I can't move in these, basically. And then these five words, so he took them off. And I really felt like the Lord was showing me that Saul, had, had David gone to war in Saul's armor, that would be akin to going to war in the character shoes. Uh, a commentator I uh, studied for my book said this uh, sentence that's just uh, fascinated me. You know, he said, the bravest thing David ever did was go to war as himself. And so I think many of us are trying to fight spiritual giants, trying to bring giants down in our life, but we're doing it in someone else's spiritual attire. And I believe we have to take the king's armor off, and we have to trust that the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God, and that if we will trust him and step down into that valley without the character shoes, going to war as ourselves, as that commentator said, that we'll actually see, see these spiritual giants fall perhaps some of them for the first time in our lives. So that's what I talk about there is the, is the biblical basis for the idea of uh, taking off the character shoes in one's life. What's in a name? A question mark. Uh, what's the story there? Yeah, you know, um, as a kid growing up, there's, there's lots of reasons for it, I'm sure, uh, no differently than anyone else, but I, uh, I, I had some, some difficulty growing up. I, I moved a, a good bit, and I, I kind of ran into some serious cases of me, and I had some bullying events. And, you know, for the longest time, starting probably at, at 10 years old, even though I would have introduced myself to you as Allison, Pat, I really actually believed spiritually or emotionally, if that makes sense, that my name was rejected. Because it was the only way as a young woman I could make sense of the pain that I was experiencing. I didn't really understand that uh, the problem was with the, the bulliers. I didn't understand that. And the only thing I could understand was that I was the target of it, and there must be kind of a fatal flaw in me, as Aristotle talks about. And so I began to believe that my name was rejected. Now, I carried that false name, if you will, all the way through my life. And I lived my life oddly, either trying to disprove that I was worth rejecting, which meant, in my world, it meant achieving, or I, I lived my life affirming that false name. In other words, I would reject people before they could reject me. And there came a time when Jesus started knocking on, on the door of my heart, much like the character sheet, and he said, can we, can we deal with that false name that you carry around? Because, Pat, I mean, I, you know... Even when I had the, the joy and the crazy honor of standing on a Broadway stage for two years and performing, even when, I, when the Lord opened the door for me to work with women of faith for three years, I still, even with all that quote-unquote, whatever, achievement, or I still deeply felt that my name was rejected. And the Lord probably about, same time of the character she was about five years ago, started to say, can we... Can we deal with that false name? Can we begin to believe that your name is accepted in the beloved? 
And I began to do an exercise at churches, Pat, where I would have the, the women write down on name tags all the false names that they carried. And I had all the, all, on the altar all the authentic, beautiful, truthful names of Scripture. And I had them exchange those false names. And when I started doing it in churches, Pat, I thought maybe I don't know, 10 to 20% might respond. And what I have found, I've done it in probably 90% of the events that I go to over the last five years. And it's, it's generally 80 to 90% of every single congregation, every single person in the congregation responds. And if you could see what is left on the altar, the daughters of the king, the, the secret things that we actually believe about ourselves and that we feel um, encapsulates our identity. It, it ne- I just did it this last weekend. It never fails to take my breath away. Um, and, and sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes it's not always bad things. I always tell tell women that, you know, a perfect, have to be a good girl, always get it right. Those are false names as well because they handicap us. And so that's where what's, that's where what's in the name, uh, that's kind of what that chapter um, talks about, of course, playing on the, the great Shakespeare soliloquy on the balcony scene where Juliet is, is so upset that Romeo has the wrong name. She can never fall in love with a guy with the name of Romeo because of the feud between them, Montagues and the Capulets. And, you know, I just came to understand that there was a feud that was going on in my life between rejected and accepted. And I have truly, because Jesus is so good and so big and so relentless in his healing, I've truly begun to understand that, that, um, that I am accepted, whether I'm on a stage in front of a hundred people or whether I'm washing dishes at home, uh, none of that can change the fact that I'm accepted in the beloved and that I am not a rejected girl. Allison Allen is our guest. Allison, I've got to ask you about, oh, I don't know, roughly around <laughs> 650 performances of the Broadway well, I, production of Greece. When you think back to those days, what comes to your mind? Oh, that's a great question. You know, it's there so long and there's so many ways to parse it. There's so many ways to to look at the experience. But I, I think if I have to look at it generally, it's that it was just an unbelievable masterclass that I didn't even know God had put me in. Um, I was right out of school, right out of Carnegie Mellon University, and and um, got got into the first revival of Greece. There was, of course, the the original Broadway production in the '70s, but this was the first revival in the 90s, and um, I was cast in the ensemble, and then I was cast to do, to cover three roles, Marty, Patty, and Miss Lynch, which I did about 75 to 100 times, and then I had my role that I also did every night, and as I look back on it, I think it was a master class artistically. You know, I got to um, study under people that were 10 to 15 years ahead of me that had way more experience, and so I love how the Lord often is training us when we don't know we're being trained. Uh, I got to learn under these incredible comedic masters, Tony Award winners, and I was able to hone my craft, and it was such a gift of God. But also, um, I was in a bit of a master class, spiritually speaking. Uh, I lived on 51st and 9th, and right down the street was this church that I, that I happened into because it had services uh, when I wasn't on the stage, and it was this little church called Times Square Church, which was... Uh, of course, pastored by David Wilkerson. And then on the um, other part of the city, I would go to Tim Keller's church. And mm. so for two years, I kind of bounced between these two incredible streams in the body of Christ and was able to sit under Tim Keller and, and his, I don't know, I think he's like the next C.S. Lewis. Um, and, then, and then David Wilkerson, who'd had such an incredible and potent ministry, uh, with gangs and, and, and that kind of thing. So it was a master class all the way around, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I, you know, I still pinch myself with gratefulness that, that I ever got to stand on that stage. Allison Allen is our guest, author of Shine. <clears throat> We've got more with Allison right after these messages, folks. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, right here. In Orlando, Florida. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word.
more than a thousand chapters and 30,000 verses, but you can do it. Read the entire Bible with Bible in a Year, totally interactive, totally free at BibleStudyTools.com. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people. They're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-518-4020. 800-518-4020. That's 800-518-4020. Thank you for allowing us into your homes. We are Laureen and Tony Giorgio living with Victory Ministries, formerly Compassion Children's Foundation. We advocated for seriously ill children who are falling through the cracks. Join us for Living with Victory, a program that will help you in life storms because Jesus is your umbrella. Don't miss Living with Victory. Now heard twice on Sundays, 9.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. On 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Tune in at 3 p.m. to hear me, Carmen, on my new show, The Reconnect. Let's bring God back into the conversation. Carmen LaBurge, The Reconnect. Weekday afternoons at 3, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Allison Allen is with us. Her book is called Shine. Uh, we've arrived at this topic, Allison spitting out the poison. You do a whole chapter on that. Uh, What are you saying here? Yeah, spitting out the poison kind of refers back to Pat, that that name tag exchange exercise. There there was a a scene um, in a movie called Amazing Grace, which was, to me, one of the best faith-based films ever, about the William Wilberforce story when he was working tirelessly to abolish slavery in England, and he had come to a place of what he assumed was great failure. And uh, if I remember correctly, um, he he took some time away from Parliament and ki- had kind of retreated. and And I believe, if, if the movie is accurate, he had become somewhat addicted to laudanum or morphine or, or something like that. And his um, not yet wife met him, and they're sitting there, and and I think she says something to him like. You know, it seems to me, if something is troubling you, it, it's best to, to spit it out, to say it. And I think sometimes um, Jesus will bring us to an appointed moment of grace. That's kind of the only way I can describe it. An appointed moment of grace where he says, this is the moment to deal with the thing. Not that we don't ever have to deal with it. Again, I don't believe in magic. I believe in grace. And, and so I don't think that when we come to those places, it's always one and done. Um, but when the Lord said to me, Allison, you know, four or five years ago, like I talked about in the previous segment, it is time to spit the poison out. Um, you keep swallowing it back, and it keeps handicapping you in terms of the life that I want to to invite you in on. And so this chapter just deals with those moments of grace where God says, now's the time. One of the things I talk about, um, you know, whenever the Lord opens the door and I can speak to women is that in my own life, in terms of healing, you know, Jesus for me has, um, or healing for me, I should say rather, has functioned like the layers of an onion. Um, it's, it's been one layer at a time. Very rarely in my life has he chopped the whole onion in half, but, but he has said, Let, let's do this a bit at a time. And that's, that's how I think healing happens for most of us. I think it's progressive. I think it goes more deeply each time. And so I tell the gals at the events, listen, you're going to spit this poison out many times. You may spit the poison out many times a day. I actually was at... Um, an event where we did the name tag exchange and there was a man pat 
who had been helping all uh, weekend long, and he kind of stayed in the shadows. He he would rush in and help, but it was really clear that he didn't he didn't want any attention. He didn't want to be seen. And I, uh, I, I, I got word that he wanted to talk with me before I flew, and so I stepped, you know, to the side, and he came up to me, and he's had tears in his eyes. His eyes were just, you know, about to break open like a deluge, and I, I looked down at his, uh, his, his fist, and I saw that the edges of a name tag were in his hand. And I realized that he had secretly joined in the exercise that I had led the women in, because the deal is men deal with this just as much as women, but sometimes don't have as much opportunity to participate in things like this. And so he, he had a name tag kind of crumpled in his hand and we kind of, you know, sat there for a moment. And I mean, he could not let go of that thing, Pat. It was, he was white knuckling it. And I said to him, I said to him, sir, sir, can I have it? You know, basically, do you trust me with it? Can I have it? And he opened his hand, Pat, and scrawled in pencil on that name tag was convicted felon. And I just was, uh, it was one of the seminal moments of, of life and ministry. And I, I said, hold on just a minute. And I went and found the blank name tag and I, I scrawled right on that thing, forgiven. And I said, let's exchange them right here. And we did. And I actually had the opportunity to locate that man. And we talked about, I don't know, probably eight months to a year ago. And he, he said that that forgiven tag is right on his closet every day that he gets dressed. And then he remembers he's not a convicted felon. He is spitting out the poison every single day. And um, I, I, don't, I don't really know in, in my life what's much better than that. Allison Allen is our guest. Uh, Allison, how about finding your light? Explain that. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things to, to chat about. You know, as an actor there, or even as a film actor, TV actor, you'll, you'll hear something like, well, make sure you find your light. And basically what that means is that generally on any stage or even when you're filming, there will be, there will be a light that, that the director has um, directed you to stand in. And mature actors, actors that have a lot of experience, can find their light. They can actually find the brightest part of the light uh, by feel, by muscle memory, because they've had you know, so much experience standing out of the light or half in the light that they, they know innately that, oh, this is this for this moment, this time, this is my place, this is where I've been asked to stand. And in the kingdom, I, I feel so tender for women who feel like they don't have a place, that they don't have a light in Christ, or that they misunderstand the light in Christ, that it has to be in front of, you know, a million people to mean anything. I... Um, I remember the first principal role that I ever played at about 15 years old. I remember the first time they picked me up in the spotlight and I had been directed to kind of make sure I was in the right place. And I, I had missed the mark by a country mile because I, I just didn't have the experience of knowing that's not my place. No, that's my place where the light is the brightest. Um, the other thing about finding your light is, you know, it, it's, it's not our responsibility as performers or actors to, um, to initiate the light, we have to steward it. We just have to stand in it. Um, one of the funny things about finding your light when I was a, a younger performer, probably 18, I was doing a musical and, um, I'm really tall. I'm five twelve and bare feet. And so my arms are, are really long. And sometimes when I was dancing, which was the weakest of my, my skills, I was just kind of loosey goosey and I would get out of my place and, one time I remember in a song, I was doing the choreography and um, I thought it had gone great. And then I went off into the, the hall of the theater and I noticed that this, this guy that I had worked with a lot seemed really kind of, kind of peeved with me. And he'd always been so kind to me. So I knew something was really, um, you know, out of joint. And I asked him, you know, what I, what I, what was up, what I had done. And he said, well, didn't you know, you, you, you upstaged me, you moved into my light, you stole my light. And, and the fact of the matter is that I hadn't known because I was so young. And so I, I think in the kingdom, it would be a wonderful thing, a wonderful testament to a watching world if we didn't try to inch over into someone else's light to make ourselves look better, if we learn to steward the light, if we learn to throw the spotlight on whoever is shining on that stage at the moment. And then when it when it was our turn, we would we would humbly and boldly and with holding the hand of holding the hand of Jesus, 
we would step into our light. So that's kind of what finding your light is about. It also helps women and men identify what is my light? What is my God stage? What are some of those um, load stars? What are some of those hints that can let me know, ah, Jesus, ah, this is the place you have for me. This is the Matthew 5.16 moment. And uh, so I go into some of the the things that they can use and look for, the breadcrumb trail of Jesus to finding to finding their own light in the kingdom. Now I want you to talk, Allison, about empty spotlights, please. Yeah, I don't know if anybody um, has ever experienced an empty spotlight in performance, um, you know, or even an empty moment where somebody is introduced or somebody is supposed to enter the stage and basically what you have, uh, you know, actually and and metaphorically is an empty spotlight. And I feel like, um, you know, when that happens in in the natural, in the real, we kind of catch our collective breath because we know something is desperately wrong. And in that moment, when when the spotlight is empty, we know that somebody very important is missing from the story. We know in that moment that the story is impeded. And, you know, the story is king. It's not necessarily about the person in the spotlight. It's about the function or the role that they play so that the grander story can continue. And I'm just growing more and more convinced that many of us are MIA. Many of us um, are not stepping into the places of risk and luminosity and bravery and calling that Jesus has for us. And I think sometimes we, um, we, we kind of make up spiritual reasons for that. One of the things that, that I struggled with in my own life, um, you know, until the Lord began to really reveal it to me, was that I always struggled a lot with false humility. And I would say things like, well, you know, I, I, said, I don't know. I shouldn't really step into what Jesus has for me when there's, you know, 10,000 women uh, standing behind me that could do it better. You know, honestly, humility says I should demure. Humility says I should page the curtain for someone else. And if that's what God's calling you to do in that moment, absolutely. My guest is Allison Allen. She's been wonderful. Her book is Shine. Uh, We're back for a wrap-up, folks, right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Well, Miss Allison, we... More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-915-9296. 800-915-9296. 800-915-9296. That's 800-915-9296. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Lynn Hartke was our guest in the first segment uh, from uh, the Phoenix area, talking about her book, Under a Desert Sky. And then Allison Allen in Nashville. Uh, Her book is called Shine. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And check out uh, my most recent book. It's called The Success Intersection, when your greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion. Well, I refer to that as your sweet spot in life, and that's where you want to live. That's where you want to get paid every two weeks, right there in that sweet spot. I hope you enjoy the book. It's in bookstores now, and Amazon, uh, always a wonderful way to order books. We're back next week for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. 
You're listening to 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.